At Rebel News, we're not afraid to have dangerous discussions, and we want to have them with you at our upcoming Rebel Live events, first in Toronto, November 19th, and again in Calgary, Saturday, November 26th. Just go to rebelnewslive.com to get your tickets today. All right. Hello, everyone. Good evening, everyone. This is Monday, November 14th here at the Ottawa Rebel News headquarters. We're having some fun prior to starting. I am joined to my right here by Celine Gallas, a fellow Rebel News colleague. That's her when me to co-host a live stream. Celine, how are you doing? I'm doing very good. Today was very exciting. We're, mm-hmm. uh, we're very happy to break this down for you. Yeah, definitely. lots of breaking ground stuff today. Yeah, definitely an exciting day. It was so, so great to follow. We heard from the LRB, the CSIS, LRB, which is Liberal Research Bureau. Anyways, such a great day. Definitely stay tuned for that to see everything that went on today. And I am here to my left with Tom Morato. Tom, um, emergency, no, not emergency, like Freedom Convoy intern. <laughs> Slash key, <laughs> key figure. Tom, how are you doing? You forgot off-grid. I live off-grid. Right. Off-grid. Yes. How are you doing, Tom? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So just for people that haven't followed us in the past few weeks, if you haven't, make sure to go back and check all of our episodes. Tom, who are you? Oh, boy. I, you know what? I'm not going to answer that question because I've done about... 50 or 60 interviews in the last few months. And I think I answer that. I don't know how many times. And I guess at the end of the day, if your viewers don't know who I am by now, I probably shouldn't be on your show because <laughs> you've, you've been my opening act for like three weeks now. This That's is true. Right. Well, this is true. Let's try to do our best presentation of Tom Morazzo. Told that I have to present the people that come on the live stream. So yeah. Tom Morazzo, <laughs> if you go on LinkedIn, it's written that he's an intern with Freedom Convoy 2022. Uh, he was one of the spokesperson of Freedom Convoy. He had some talks with the auto police, with uh, some people, some officials in the police. He was there basically with Tamara Leach, Chris Barber, Danny Bilford, and other key figures of the Freedom Convoy uh, throughout his duration when it was here in Ottawa. Is this accurate? That's perfect. Perfect, That's all right. Perfect. And also, as you can see, Tom is dressed pretty well. I'm also dressed well. So if you want to comment down below in the chat, who is dressed better between me and Tom Morato? That's the reason why we're both wearing a, a full suit and a tie. <laughs> so if you want to make this, you know, if you want, if you want to let us know who is dressed better between me and Tom Morato, you can always put it down in the chat down below. All right. Before we get to what went on today, um, a couple of announcements. If you want to help us fund our work here in Ottawa, if you find value um, in our content, you can go ahead and visit truckercommission.com. And there you can donate as much as you can, $5, $10, as much as you're, as you're able to. Second thing, Rebel News Live. You've heard me talk about it a lot in the past few weeks. It is happening this Saturday in Toronto. And on the 25th, well, right when the commission, end, no, no, not on the 25th, on the 26th. So a day after the commission ends in Calgary, is that right? Uh, I believe it's on the 25th, but it is in Calgary. And you can still go get a ticket to listen to some of uh, your favorite speakers. We're going to have Tamara Leach. We're going to have um, Derek Fildebrandt, Andrew Lawton. We have huge people from Rebel like Ezra Levant, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Yeah. So you can come meet us, mingle with us. Go get a ticket at rebellive.com. Exactly. So yeah, either 25th or 26th, you can see it at Rebel, Rebel, rebelnewslive.com, as uh-huh. Celine just mentioned. Rebelnewslive.com if you want to meet all of these great people. All right. Let's get back to today. So today, who did we see at the commission? So we had two testimonies. Um, It was kind of like a panel. They were both giving their testimonies at the same time. So we had Rob Stewart, um, appointed deputy minister for uh, public safety in Canada. And then we also have Dominic Rashan. I'm saying this incorrectly. Anyways, he is the senior assistant uh, deputy minister for the national cybersecurity branch of the public safety for public safety in Canada. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So their testimonies were very, very interesting. Um, again, just like to point out right off the bat, they did all, both of them agreed that the Emergencies Act um, was helpful in some ways, but not necessary as we've heard. So now that that's out of the way, what we can, yeah, here we go. We can throw it to this clip right away then. Yeah, let's take a look at some of what they had to say. Yeah. Okay, well, we can actually take a look. Well, just to begin the live stream, take a look at clip number one, Mm -hmm. where an official from Public Safety Canada testified the commission that uh, the intel that he had led him to believe that the Freedom Convoy would be a peaceful protest straight from the get-go. So uh, let's take a look at that. Uh, The expectation that I had was that the convoy would uh, park and stay for the weekend and leave on the Sunday. Okay. Mr. Roshan is... Is that your expectation? As far as the Ottawa situation was, yes. And we were also watching to see whether other protests that were bubbling across uh, the country would also, but the expectation was they would all be peaceful and they would last for that weekend. You know, uh, transport obviously had um, um, some concerns with regard to various protests uh, happening and how it might affect the flow of traffic, how it might affect uh, supply chain issues from a transport perspective. Uh, Canada Border Services Agency, I think, started to uh, ask questions about uh, uh, particular ports of entry. And um, so from a critical infrastructure perspective, and this is really why GOC was was involved, is to make sure that we were mindful that there could be impacts to critical infrastructure. And as a result, we were being uh, watchful. Hmm. You know, we heard a lot from these two people throughout the day. I think... You know, as much as we get credit to the testimony, I think we should give as much credit to Brendan Miller and Rob Kitteridge, Brendan Miller from Foster LLP, who's representing Freedom Corp, and Rob Kitteridge, Kitteridge, I don't Kittredge, know how to pronounce yeah. it, Rob Kitteridge, yeah. from uh, the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom for their excellent cross-examination. Oh, yeah. So what was your main takeaway from those two testimonies? Like in the clip that we just saw? Well, the clip or just overall, yeah. Um, It was great. I mean, it, it confirms what we already knew, but now 100% since this week has started and, you know, we've had so many testimonies that we've seen over the course of, it's been like, what, about three weeks that this has been, been going weeks. on? Yeah. There you go. Four weeks. Like, that's a lot of people that have testified. So we're kind of, we're moving over closer towards like the very, very end. So for sure... I mean, we can still speculate on it, but I think 100% now this points to um, that it was the the liberal ministers and it was Justin mm-hmm. Trudeau that invoked the Emergencies Act, uh, despite the fact that they had pretty much every single intelligence source and agency mm-hmm. in Canada telling them that they should be doing the exact opposite, showing them different ways, negotiation methods, anything that would not actually cause cause uh, panic, right? Like... Um, I think it's pretty simple. I think yeah. it was, uh, it's common sense, but they chose to do it anyway. So I'd like to know why, you know, that, that, that hot potato has now been thrown in that direction. We've gotten two more people out of the way. So mm-hmm. it's just this process of elimination was so tedious at first. And now I'm looking so forward to hearing the mm-hmm. ministers testify. No, it'll definitely be interesting. And I think, you know, I always find it interesting how uh, the lawyer for Peter Slowly, counsel for Peter Slowly, yeah. um, brought up the fact that as a police officer, as a police service, your first method mm-hmm. to handle a protest is negotiation and de-escalation. Yeah. And we keep hearing that all levels of government were refusing to meet with the protester, mm-hmm. were refusing to literally even negotiate, hear their concerns, hear the concerns of thousands of Canadians who were fed up with the COVID-19 mandates and that travel to Ottawa to make their disagreement known. Tom, what do you think? 
So when I watch Brendan's um, cross-examination <laughs> for Miller time, uh, of course, Miller that's, time. Always, the, that's always the best part of the, the entire uh, event. But I have to say, uh, maybe, I don't know, because I think Brendan's uh, family was in town this weekend. So yeah. we got to see a much better, uh, brighter, pumped up <laughs> version of Brendan. But I have to say, of all of the... Uh, the cross-examinations that he's done today, I, I think, was a new level of Brendan Miller. Uh, the way he had framed his questions, like he started to uh, question the two officials on what they believed was suspicion. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was another legal term that he used, it, and they were very unclear about what that that actual, those definitions were. Yeah. Uh, you know, suspicion where you can take actual law enforcement action. And, and they said they, they were kind of confused by it. But then as he, he went on more, he was talking about, um, you know, he was leading them down this path. Mm -hmm. And he, you could see that he was setting the trap. Oh, for sure. I, I've noticed that Brendan likes to set these traps. And he's setting these <laughs> traps. And just when you thought he was going to do it, he's like, you, you agree with this. You agree with that. You agree yeah. with that. And then he said, okay, so you agree that it wasn't, you know, necessary. And then he said, no, I don't agree. <laughs> it's like, you want your cake, but you're not, you know, like, what's the saying? You want your cake and eat it too. Um, it was really frustrating to listen to that witness towards the end, because basically mm -hmm. what he was saying is like, okay, CSIS didn't want it. We've known that the RCMP didn't didn't want it. Even under Section 12 of the CSIS Act, it didn't fit the parameters, didn't fit the parameters for Section 2. So you had nothing. Yeah. But then at the end, he says, well, didn't, don't you agree that um, the government never met the threshold? So who were they listening to? And they said, no, cabinet wanted it. So then Brendan says, to your knowledge, is Justin Trudeau trained in law enforcement or intelligence? And he said, well, I don't speak to that. And Brendan said, I can tell you, he's not. He was a drama teacher, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, well, you know, when you look at, at, at the CSIS Act, you know, a threat to the security of Canada uh, means espionage or sabotage. It means foreign influence activities within or relating to Canada that are detrimental to the interests of Canada and are clandestine or deceptive or involve a threat to any person. See activities within or relating to Canada direct, directed towards or in support of the threat or use of acts of serious violence against persons or property for the purpose of achieving a political, religious, or ideological objective within Canada or a foreign state. And finally, activities directed towards undermining by coverage, unlawful acts, or directed towards or intended ultimately to lead to the destruction uh, of property and such. So I don't think that the Freedom Convoy met that threshold. And I think that that is what we're seeing through evidence that is brought up by uh, by Brendan Miller, that is brought up by Council for the GCCF, Council for the Democracy Fund, yes. other pro-freedom council. We're not seeing that this that these thresholds were met. Well, you know, when we, we heard very early when the two witnesses got there, there was the difference between groups in the government that consume intelligence and then the right. other groups that exactly. produce the intelligence. Mm -hmm. And and you have to be careful of who is producing and who is consuming it. Yeah. And my impression was that there was a group that was producing intelligence, but the group that was actually consuming it was ignoring it. And I think that's just clearly because they didn't like the answer. Mm -hmm. They didn't like that the uh, um, the leader of the CSIS, I uh, mm -hmm. can't remember his title or his name. I, I remember reading it. Vigneault, I think, is his name. Yeah. 
basically recommended we we heard this testimony last week and then we got to review it at again that he was saying if you go ahead and do this what you're going to end up doing is getting the negative or the opposite reaction of what you want which is now you're going to inspire an imve uh an ideologically motivated violent extremism right you're going to actually inspire that and then you're going to possibly make the lone wolf scenario something to to start to have to consider yeah and so when you heard that that recommendation and then you're he brendan brought it back to them and said hey what about this and it's like they they're agreeing they're agreeing and they're agreeing and then you get to the one yard line and they're kind of like no i don't agree yeah so you just contradicted everything that you just walked through with brendan yeah well that's why it always is contradictions all right well thanks for that deep analysis lawyer Lawyer Marazzo, King's Counsel, Tom Marazzo. All right, let's take a look at clip, <laughs> clip number seven, where, well, we've been talking about Miller time, Brendan Miller cross-examining um, Rob Stewart. Let's take a look at how that went. Bureau or agency or law enforcement agency told the government, here's the evidence of reasonable and probable grounds, or reasonable grounds, of a Section 2 CSIS Act threat. And you know I take it now, because it's advised to you, that that's required to invoke the Emergencies Act. It's in the documents. You were advised of that. Yes. Right. So what agency gave you the evidence and the intelligence that said, hey, we have reasonable grounds of a Section 2 CSIS Act threat? There wasn't one, was there? So let me um, explain. Uh, nobody uh, bringing advice to the table other than CSIS is uh, assessing uh, that uh, against that threat. Nobody advising the cabinet. The cabinet is making that decision. And their interpretation of the law is what governs here and the advice they get. And their, their decision was, evidently, that the threshold was met. Well, I interpreted that I'm allowed to kill you. That's how I interpret the law. <laughs> that's that's really what well. makes something legal or illegal. What, what did you think of his cross-examination, Brendan, uh, Brendan um, Miller? I think it's painful to watch them squirm. <laughs> oh, like that silence was, it was so loud in my ears. It just, oh, it like irks me. But again, that's what you get when Brendan Miller walks up to the stand. You just know, like, that's why it's it's literally a huge topic on Twitter. Every time it's Miller time, people are like, zoned in honed in because they know that he's about to drop a huge truth bomb and that something crazy is going to be unveiled it's nothing that we didn't maybe already you know interpret uh because of what information has come out already but uh oh, the silence yeah like, no it's oh, definitely great silence. you know last week was last week was calmer um, yes, definitely. It had a little bit. It was still a super interesting week, and we heard some great testimony and some great evidence was presented. For instance, the Coots border blockade were the Coot, the Coots border blockades were dealt with prior to the EA being involved. And so we was saw the one that. at Windsor. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you know, we saw that last week, um, but it was still a calmer week. But I, I, I can say that I have under good authority that this week's going to be a lot more interesting. It's going to be it's going to be very great to 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 follow. Uh, Tom, what did you make of his testimony in this response, basically saying that they, they didn't receive any intel from any actual authority saying that it should be invoked? Yeah, and and you're right about the um, 
that silent that silent moment mm -hmm. i remember that silent moment and i wasn't looking and i'm and i had to look up and i'm like <laughs> that's weird painful right? it, was, like, it oh. was painful that yeah. silence right and um you know it, it's it's remarkable because there's there they're talking about the intelligence and the law enforcement agencies with this within the country, but somehow cabinet knew better. Yeah. Right. They, they blatantly disregarded the advice and the access, their, their ability to be the consumers of that intelligence, but because they didn't like the answer, they went a different route. Yeah. And I think we're going to find out when they testify that it's going to be really probably they're going to be hard pressed to justify it. Well, think about it too. Like you have two deputy ministers that are serving two ministers, right? A hundred percent from the liberal cabinet who have just said today, a hundred percent that they advised against invoking the emergency act. These two people, it was a steward and wrote, wrote I, I cannot pronounce his name, but when you have that and it, it's so in front of you, it just and I can't wait to see what it's going to be like next week. Mm -hmm. Like it's, I'm not sure what sort of excuses they're going to have. Again, this has just been a process of elimination. And as I suspected, but now I can confirm that mm -hmm. like these, even the, their own deputy ministers were like, Hey, we don't have to hit the panic button. We can certainly do these other tactics. Instead, we have X, Y, Z in our arsenal and our tool toolbox, et cetera, to use instead of just hitting the emergencies act button. And uh, they still chose to go forward with it. So again, I'm not sure what sort of excuses they're going to have. Yeah, you're, you're really absolutely not. right. It'll be almost impossible for the liberal cabinet who's testifying yeah. next week to actually find a proper justification for the use of the emergency, especially when Brendan Miller starts cross-examining them. <laughs> and we, just, we we even saw that later. <laughs> that would be great. And we even saw some of it later today too when some evidence was presented by Rob Kitteridge. Um about the LRB, the Liberal Research Bureau. Now, I just want to wait. We have Keith Wilson in the background. I want to wait until he comes on to go into that a little bit deeper because he's actually a King's Counsel, like Tom. Even though I, I just said, look like one. <laughs> exactly. Even though I said that Tom was a King's Counsel earlier. But we saw some great evidence presented today by uh, the GCCF in relation to the, uh, the, the, the I, LRB. Um, all right, let's look a little bit deeper into... Um, Stewart's testimony once again. Let's take a look at clip number five, uh, where it's um, yeah, where where the deputy mean the the public safety deputy minister was concerned that if invoking DEA could potentially uh, provoke the freedom convoy protesters to be even more violent. Well, not even more violent, to actually become violent because they weren't violent uh, initially. Let's take a look at that clip number uh, around five. the pros and cons of using the Emergencies Act, and. One of the concerns that I had at the time was of the potential for serious violence. So, in fact, one of the reasons to invoke the act was also a concern in terms of what happens when you invoke it. Um, and, and if it were uh, to um, lead people to become uh, violent, then that would be, you know, an, un, uh, an un undesirable outcome. So we were, that was just one of the many considerations we were discussing. So essentially, it might do more harm than good by by inciting rather than calming. That's right. Okay.
Wow. <laughs> it's incredible. Every time I hear it, I'm like, it's that much more real. Like I joke about it, but you know, we literally hear this from every single testimony. It doesn't matter what they say that, um, even in cross-examination, it doesn't matter what they say to try and, and make that entire statement seem less than it is. Every single person has agreed that it could have been helpful or was helpful in some way, but absolutely not necessary to invoke a counter-terrorist act. The, the, the ex, what was it? The War Measures Act is what mm -hmm. it was called. The War Measures Acts. These were peaceful protesters that came to protest lawfully, mm -hmm. peacefully in Canada's capital. What more? What more can there be? Really, it's 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 incredulous. Really, it's not, it's not even the first time that we that we hear it that it could incite violence within the protester. It's not it's not the first time we they were keep warned hearing by CSIS. it. They're warned yeah. by the RCMP. Like these are huge, huge like intelligence ops that provided this information weeks, even weeks leading up towards mm -hmm. the invocation of the Emergencies Act. So I'm not, again, it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's same, incredible to me. <laughs> same thing over and over again. It just yeah. reaffirms once again that it was not necessary, that it could actually provoke violence when there was no violence at the beginning. You mentioned the War Measures Act. The only times in history where these, these legislature have been used is during World War, World War I, World War II, yeah. the FLQ crisis. Not... The Freedom Convoy doesn't even match any of those. Well, it's, of course not, it's but they're going to make them out thing. to be similar. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable it's thing that Justin Trudeau actually thought he could equate the, yeah. the, the Freedom Convoy to these crises. Tom? Well, you know, we if, if we look at right across the board, all of the different socioeconomic differences amongst the people that attended the convoy, we had doctors, we had lawyers, we had veterinarians, we had carpenters, we had electricians, mm -hmm. we had all walks of life from every province. We had the, the most phenomenal sample of Canadians that all, you know, came to Ottawa for that protest. And so for, for the general public out there that is against the convoy, it's very neat and tidy. If you can put them all into a box as a certain small percentage or fringe minority sector of our society. But in this case, you can't do that. It was all of Canada that came to Ottawa. It was the truckers that inspired or, or gave everybody like me, a former military guy, the opportunity to come to Ottawa. So the truckers were the ones that were, you know, they, they lit the spark, but it was all of Canada that came to Ottawa. And so what you're seeing is this kind of narrative where it's better to put them all into one little container. Mm -hmm. So it's easier to frame them as being this fringe minority of bad people. But we know this when we hear the testimony that they, they can't make that argument, right? It just doesn't, it doesn't equate in any way. And so it's really nice to see that they're admitting certain things, but again, this is a lot of, this is also a court of public opinion. You know, the, the public gets to watch this and see the evidence for this themselves, hear the testimony and make a decision about the, the convoy. Uh, but I think it's obviously clear it was never required. Yeah. It was never required. Of course, it was never required. And even even he testified to it today, Rob Stewart, <laughs> when, when Rob Kinrich asked him, do you agree with me? that it was helpful but not necessary as many witnesses had testified prior to today he said yeah it was useful 
he, he agreed <laughs> with, uh, with Kedrich's statement. We keep seeing it over and over again. It's great. And you talked about the court of public opinion. And I, I agree with you. Um, even today, we saw the NDP put out a press release saying that they would like to see an independent inquiry into the federal COVID-19 measures that have been taken throughout the pandemic. You know, I think it's a little bit odd to hear that, considering that Jack Mead has been following Trudeau in every single move he made. But... <laughs> I, I think it still shows that while the NDP continues to support Trudeau, they might see a political opportunity. Yeah, I just wrote that earlier today. I think they might see a political opportunity to go against Trudeau, seeing how the inquiry is going. And now they're asking for an independent inquiry into the federal COVID-19 response by the Liberal government. Very interesting. Tom, your, your, your thoughts on that? And after we we'll let you go and we'll bring in Keith, uh, Keith Wilson. Yeah, I think what you're seeing is a, another example of buyer's remorse with the NDP sort of uh, associating associating mm -hmm. themselves with with Trudeau. But but you know, Mr. Singh recently said, no matter what the outcome of this is, he's still going to um, maintain his relationship with the the federal Liberals and uh, keep the coalition going strong. Um, so he, he's he's going to he's perfectly happy to trample on civil liberties for dental care. Okay, for dental work, um, but I think he's he's playing both sides of the the fence here. Is okay, really what he's doing. Is. Obviously, right. like he's hedging his bets is what he's doing. Of course. Well, thanks so much. Thanks so much for coming on, Tom. Great suit once again. It's great, great tie that you wore today, and we'll I look forward I, to seeing you tomorrow. I think Keith is going to break the tie. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. All right, stay tuned, everyone. We'll go on a short <laughs> break. When we come back, we'll have Freedom Convoy lawyer Keith Wilson, King's Counsel. Join us on the live stream. Stay tuned. Freedom in the year 2022 for me, folks, it means the return of Rebel Live. Now, Rebel Live is an annual event we used to put on before the man, or was it the COVID Karen, made us shut it down during the pandemic years. It is a freedom fun fest, if you will. All the freedom fighters you've grown to know and love over the years, they're gonna be speaking at the Toronto and Calgary events. The Toronto event is on November 19th, that's a Saturday, and it will feature the likes of Dr. Julie Panessi, Archer Pawlowski, Tamara Leach, and all your favorite rebels, including yours truly, I'll be the MC that day, Sheila Gunn-Reed, and of course, the big boss man himself, Ezra Levant. Now Saturday, November the 26th, we're bringing Rebel Live to Calgary, and uh, those aforementioned speakers will be there, and Sheila will be the MC for that event. You don't want to miss it. It's an all-day freedom fest. I know there are certain would-be conservative leaders that think freedom is overrated. You know we don't think that way. I don't think you think that way. So if you want to get a ticket, please go to the website. They are going fast. Go to rebelnewslive.com. That's rebelnewslive.com. Get your orders in. And as Billy Redlines used to say, folks, don't you dare miss it. Don't you dare miss this one. All right, we are back. Great ad from our very own David the Menzo in Menzies. And I'm here with someone who doesn't need a reminder to wear a suit when he comes on the live stream. This is Freedom Convoy lawyer Keith Wilson. Keith, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks. 
dress very well, Keith. All right, your general thoughts from today, what we've seen so far, and then we'll move on to uh, the examination of Global Affairs Canada. Sure. Well, I mean, it's been a repeat of what we've seen over and over again, which is each official that is brought forward is asked what they know about the factual evidentiary circumstances that would justify the invocation of the Emergencies Act, the stripping of Canadians' rights, the um, um, allowing the federal government, as the Emergencies Act does, to intrude into provincial jurisdiction, and each witness gives the same answer. There was no justification. They give it with precision, as you've talked about with, with Tom Morazzo, uh, but they confirm that there was no national security threat um, they agree that the sources with best information that would know if there was a national security threat was the OPP and other police organizations, and they acknowledge that their testimony is that the criteria to invoke the act wasn't there. So it's just becoming clearer and clearer, and it's going to be interesting when the politicians get up because they've really got nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. Yeah, can you just remind us quickly? I know we talked about it at the beginning of the live stream. I read to section two of the CSIS Act. Um, what threshold needs to be met for the Emergencies Act to be justifiably uh, invoked? Well, there has to be uh, a serious threat to the national security. It has to in involve acts of real violence. Um, there has to be a credible plan for some overthrow of the government, an illegal overthrow. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's section two of the CSIS Act that refers to this new term that the government's come up with in recent years of ideologically motivated violent extremist. And the only ideologically motivated violentist extremist that I've met in the last year has been the Trudeau government, mm -hmm. and they've demonstrated their violence on Canadians by beating them and trampling them with horses in support of their ideology that the state knows best and Canadians' rights shouldn't be respected. Mm -hmm. So uh, it goes, cuts both ways. No, of course. And I think that even today, the commission, the lady who was trampled by RCMP horses mm -hmm. during the Freedom Convoy was here today. We saw That's her. Right. Yeah. Um, so while we were doing the live stream at the beginning, uh, Global Affairs Canada testified in front of the Public Order Emergency Commission. And Brendan Miller, it, Brendan Miller even got the chance to cross-examine uh, the two witnesses who were on stand. So I think that she were still at the commission. Can you tell us um, a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, it was still going on while you guys went live. And um, the senior official with Global Affairs Canada, so this is like, they used to be called foreign affairs, right? So they're right. dealing with embassies and relations mm -hmm. with other nation states. And she said some remarkable things. And I was very glad that I wasn't sipping my coffee at the time because I probably would have spit it out. Um, one of the things she said was that they were extremely concerned about the economic impacts of the Windsor and Coots uh, border blockades. But what she failed to note is that Stats Canada found that even despite the border being temporarily blocked at Windsor, the Ambassador Bridge, all the trucks went to the other bridges. So trade was, in fact, according to Stats Canada, when they studied it some months later, and you can Google this and see mm -hmm. it, trade was actually, the crossing trade was up by 16%. Mm -hmm. 
So this whole oh, idea, wow. it was purely a model they came up with that if no trucks could cross at all, this is what the impact could mm. be. The fact of the matter is the trucks went to the other two bridges that are there. Uh, similarly, at Coots, they rerouted to uh, Delmeda and then the other crossing. Yeah. So there was a temporary impact, no greater than a day. Um, but the reason I almost spit out my coffee was every day I get emails from people who have lost their businesses, mm -hmm. who have lost their homes, who've lost their families because of the government's overreach with these mandates. Look at the economic costs to the tourism sector alone from the prolonged government mm -hmm. travel mandates that mm -hmm. prevented foreigners from coming to Quebec to see the beautiful sites, going to Alberta and British Columbia and all those tourism dollars. It was many, many tens of billions of dollars. So they're being a little selective here, right? They're, they're first of all, jacking up the numbers about the economic impact. Right. And they're completely, uh, willfully blind, I would suggest, to the economic impact that their own travel mandates had. I got to give another example. A lot of people don't understand this. When they brought in the vaccine requirement to uh, to travel by air in Canada, which no other G7 country did, we were unique in that respect of overreach. Um, it also required the baggage handlers, the security clearance people, the people who work at Booster Juice and Starbucks to all be vaccinated as well. So the disruption and the delays, if, if you traveled at all, even recently, you're still feeling the effects where you pull up and you can't get up to the, the bridgeway because there's no baggage handlers or you're waiting for two hours. So the economic impacts of that, they're willfully blind to. So this is, it was remarkable that she was trying to vilify freedom protesters for their alleged economic impact, which Stats Canada said wasn't real, um, and completely ignoring the incredibly um, dreadful economic impact that this government policy of overreach had on the mandates. I fully agree. You know, the, the, the border communities, the border cities through the pandemic have suffered tremendously because of all of those, uh, those Niagara mandates. Falls. Yeah, exactly. You know, we saw uh, some MPs are talking about it in the house of commons. And I even have a graph right here. I just sent it on Slack. If we can put that, pull that up uh, shortly, Canada had some of the strictest COVID-19 restrictions yeah. from all countries you know i compare it to germany italy croatia iceland right here and canada from april 1st april 1st 2021 to april 1st 2022 is above all of the other ones if we could put it up on the on the screen that would be great but what what do you think of uh, of this of this testimony that keith just talked to us about well my goodness i'm sad to not have been able to see that myself or to hear it but i think i just would have been very, very angered as I honestly am right now, because, you know, it's like a bunch of bullies, um, literally just picking and choosing which, uh, which places get to stay open and which ones get to close. And because for less than a day, they had some impacts, they're throwing a huge fit and making up all these statistics to try. And again, like you said, vilify the convoy when again it was how many local businesses closed, but Walmart was allowed to stay open, but Costco was allowed to stay open. Liquor stores, um, uh, um, uh, weed, what are they? LCBO. 
I think they call cannabis. it cannabis. Cannabis, sorry, yes. cannabis. We're in Ontario. Yeah, people, whatever. <laughs> I don't smoke, so I'm not. <laughs> I'm not familiar with the terms, but all these places that the government uh, runs or has some sort of hand in were allowed and able to stay open. Well, uh, small business were impacted. Um, like you said, people lost their houses. People lost their lives to this, and now I, like they're just throwing a huge fit. And I, I, there's no reason why it's it can't be justified. Um, and the fact that they have to make up false statistics to try and and make this narrative, I mean, it's just they're digging their own grave here. And the closer we get towards the end of this, the worse it looks on them. It already was bad. It was already very, very, very bad. But mm -hmm. what do you think is going to be like the impacts? Well, really? there's one more that I have to share with you that she said today, because I know you guys are busy oh, here. No. <laughs> the, the, the second thing she you said that <laughs> would have caused me to, what's that? I said you weren't done. No, I was wow. not done. Oh, goodness. But um, she said that the other concern that Global Affairs or Foreign Affairs Canada had, get ready for this. She was very, and the government and the prime minister were very concerned about how Canadian flags were appearing in Australia and in the United States Stop, and protesting Europe and Central America. Then she said, because it was desecrating the Canadian flag that these other freedom protesters were flying the flag of Canada in, in, in Europe and in the United States and Australia, because it was being used to promote illegality. And that's why you'll see when you, if we, when you get a chance to see Mr. Miller's cross, but people were flying the Canadian flag in pride of true North strong and free. Mm -hmm. We believe in governments following the law, the rule of law and respecting the charter that puts limits on the government's ability to arbitrarily take away Canadians fundamental rights and freedoms, right. such as the right of mobility. So, People weren't flying those flags in support in other countries in support of some kind of, you know, criminal enterprise or organized crime or something silly. They were flying mm -hmm. that flag in, in support and being proud of Canadians who had come forward to say to government, you've gone too far, you need to stop and you need to follow the law. And they use this, this disinformation thing. There's a perfect example of a senior government official at the highest level under oath engaging in disinformation. Mm -hmm. they, they, they seem to be thinking they have this monopoly on who can characterize the truth. So, and I guess we'll be dealing with more of that next week. Oh, of course it's, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. And you know, you mentioned mobility rights and in Quebec, there were people in high school that will literally run at the end of the day, after hanging out with their friends, even people in university, they would take their bike and they would run back to their home because they knew the curfew was about to arrive at 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. And they, they're not allowed to be outside after this hour. It's pathetic to think that the government was actually able to do that during the pandemic. Never would I thought that 
this was something that would happen in in our in our lifetime and then you mentioned the canadian flag being flown overseas and people not being proud of that how ridiculous is that yes aren't you supposed to be proud of your country yes aren't you supposed shouldn't the prime minister like to see canadian flags everywhere because no. that's value in canada you know in the united states no. americans are proud to see the american flag everywhere have we just lost all sense of nationalism no it's because of what the flag stood for Yeah. Because because people that were flying that flag stood in, stood in solidarity with mm -hmm. people in the convoy mm -hmm. that stood in solidarity with putting up a protest against these unjust mandates mm -hmm. and vaccine, um, the passports, all the restrictions, everything that they did. It, ser it served as a as a big source of inspiration. Um, and it happened all over the all over the world. That's exactly what it inspired the convoys in the U.S. and Australia. They were in Italy. Um, they were in the Netherlands. And there was a, a mini convoy that came up from Calgary, Alberta, and went up to um, to Edmonton to the legislature building there, um, just to stand, just to show that the that the Canadians here stood in solidarity with uh, the Dutch farmers that are protesting the insane. Uh, I can't say that word of uh, the the WEF <laughs> and their uh, their crazy cutbacks on uh, on emissions. It's just literally. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna eat the bugs, Will. Yeah, the and you're global. gonna you're gonna love it. Yeah, Klaus Schwab's globalist agenda, right? Uh, mm -hmm. We'll go back to Brendan Miller's and we'll talk about Rob Kittery. But right before we go to another Miller clip, I want to show a picture that I was sent uh, earlier today. <laughs> Rob Primo made that great that great picture, that great little graphic about Brendan Miller. If you could show that on the screen. Yeah, it's Miller times. <laughs> you know, when Brendan goes like this, Oh, they're in for it. You just you know, see you it. Know like, you know something's happening. You know, when the shoulder pads shaking. go to the side and when you see him getting ready to continue his cross-examination, <laughs> you know something's coming in this graphic. As, uh, as just... a litigator, I can tell you, when he does that, he's got you right where he needs of you to course. be. And it's not going to matter what you do. <laughs> you are done. You are coming out of the cage on his terms and that's it. So, so, yeah. so it's, 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 so it's like an anaconda snake. He when just, when he does you. this, you're done. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and you know it. Everyone knows it. All right. Brendan Miller, a little, a little quick honor to you. Let's take a look at clip number six. Another clip from Miller time. He's got, he's got his whole cross-examination today was great. Uh, Rob Kittredge was nice as well, I think. And I, yes. I, I look yeah. so, I look forward to seeing what comes up for the rest of the week and what comes up next week when he testify a little transport minister, Omar Al-Jabra when he appears in front of the commission. Let's take a look at clip number six. Mm -hmm. He stated that at no point did the service, being CSIS, assess the protests in Ottawa or elsewhere, those referred to as the Freedom Convoy and related protests and blockades in January and February 2022, constituted a threat to the security of Canada as defined in Section 2 of the CSIS Act, and that CSIS cannot investigate activities constituting lawful protests. Uh, CSIS assessed there was no indication of foreign state interference occurring in the course of the protest. CSIS did not assess that any foreign state supported the protest through funding, that foreign states deployed covert or overt disinformation techniques, or that any foreign state actors attempted to enter into Canada to support the protest. There, Director Venu states that he learned that the EA referenced the threat definition set out in Section 2 of the CSIS Act once the federal government began to seriously consider invoking the EA between February 10th and 13th. He requested that the service prepare a threat assessment on the risks associated with the invocation of the EA. 
he felt an obligation to clearly convey the service's position that there did not exist a threat to the security of Canada as defined by the service's legal mandate. The threat assessment prepared by the service was that the invocation of the emergencies legislation risked further inflaming IMV rhetoric and individuals holding accelerationist or anti-government views. You were told that, is that correct? That is correct. Well, that basically just goes back to what we were saying earlier, that that's, that's the evidence, but he, he mentioned it multiple times. What a great testimony by Brendan Miller. What did you think of this line? I think, I think you can only hear something so many times. Um, <laughs> and that's pretty much it. Like, can you imagine saying it point blank and then just, you know, for the people in the back, like literally screaming, like, do anything except this, do anything except, you know, poke the snake, so to speak. Um, Keith? <laughs> well, and I think you might have touched on this a little bit earlier with um, uh, with your lawyer who was sitting in this chair. I think he works for Law and Order or Suits. I'm not sure. Something but like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's definitely, he's definitely. Well, he actually, I think he was an extra in Suits. Oh, yeah, well, so you know, he I thought he, he looked familiar. Yeah, he could say that he played one on television. <laughs> so he's not a right. real lawyer, but he played one on television. But, you know, he, he was pretty accurate, but I'll, I'll give it a little bit more the King's Council precision. <laughs> um, it's this. The question in law, when a decision maker invokes these kind of powers, is what information did they have in front of them to justify their decision? And was it reasonable? And all of the experts, as we've talked about, have testified that the trigger thresholds were not met. The evidence yeah. wasn't there. So today was the first time we heard what the new narrative is. Mm -hmm. And from the deputy minister of public safety, uh, he said that it was for the prime minister and his cabinet to adjudicate and make a decision as to whether they thought that the legal test was met despite all of the experts, all of the intelligence agencies, all of the police forces telling them it wasn't. And then of course that opened up for Brendan Miller to say, and what training does the prime minister have in law enforcement, you know, beyond drama teacher, beyond playing a police officer <laughs> in a play in high school or something. Mm -hmm. um, and of course it didn't matter what the answer is because we all know none. So um, it's not looking good for the government and, um, it's really good for Canadians that we're getting to see how corrupt the Trudeau government is. Well, I think that he had an, uh, as much training, uh, training as Tom Marazzo had when he played a lawyer, when he played an FBI, FBI agent in the series, in the series. But it was designated survivor. If you guys haven't watched, it's a great series. Um, and also, just go back on suits. Anyone who watched suit, basically, the whole plot is a lawyer who's never went to law school, who actually becomes a lawyer. And well, I think I think that could be Tom Morasso. Do you think yeah, he's got the I hadn't thought of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so just to go back, I'm not sure if we had the clip ready. I just sent it. Uh, Brendan Miller, in his first statement at the commission. You know, his opening statement was short, it was two minutes long, but it was super concise and precise and brief. And it was, it was a great opening statement, um, a great testimony, a great statement, sorry. He said that we will see no evidence whatsoever that the Freedom Convoy met the threshold for uh, Section 2 of the CSIS Act. Let's take a look exactly what Brendan Miller said back then. 
Good morning. Uh, my name is Brendan Miller of Foster LLP, and I am counsel to Freedom Corp, which is an organization that represents the protesters of which attended Ottawa in January and February of 2022. Uh, my colleague, Ms. Bathsheba Vandenberg of Foster LLP, is my co-counsel on this matter, as well as the solicitors of record, uh, both Mr. Keith Wilson, King's counsel, as well as Ms. Eva Chipiuk, uh, who is counsel to the convoy. Uh, with respect to uh, sort of everyone's given an overview of the theory of their case, it is our view that there was no justification whatsoever to invoke the Emergencies Act. The Emergencies Act requires several things. One, it could be invoked due to espionage and sabotage. Are you going to hear any evidence about espionage and sabotage? The answer to that is no. Two, it could be invoked on the basis of clandestine or deceptive foreign influence, or foreign influence that involves the threat to a person. Are you going to hear evidence about that? The answer to that is no. It also could be invoked on the basis of threats or use of acts of serious violence against persons or property. Are you going to hear evidence of violence against persons or property? The answer is no. Lastly, it can also be invoked if there is a group or persons trying to destroy or over.